My wife and I took a trip to Italy this past summer, and we rented a car, but we did not drive in Rome, because I don't think my central nervous system could handle driving in Rome. The idea of driving in Rome makes me think of a hundred squirrels who've been drinking nothing but mochaccino for an entire week straight. The idea of driving in Rome brings up this scene from this amazing movie, Ben-Hur. You know, the scene where all the chariots crash together and it's a big, unholy mess. So we did not drive in Rome or anywhere near Rome. We drove around Rome to get up to the Tuscany region we were staying. And one of the places that we wanted to go after we had been there a few days uh, is Assisi, as in St. Francis of. We wanted to see that place, that cathedral named in his honor, Francis, who speaks and his legacy speaks to so many of us who are not Catholic because his understanding of his tradition was that there is this source of divine love open to all of us found in so much simply beyond books or tradition or doctrine, but in the very heart of nature and our ability to deeply stay in touch with our lives. I love that one of the teachings often ascribed to Francis, although it may just be part of his tradition, actually, is this preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. This is part of that Franciscan spirituality that finds the core of who we are in our very being and in our practice of loving kindness. So we knew we wanted to go to Assisi. And the thing is that I had, I'd like to say intentionally, but really wasn't. It was just laziness. I wasn't paying attention. My iPhone was not operational for roaming in Europe. And we were staying about an hour and a half from where Assisi is. And after a few days, we kind of got a little bit of the lay of the land and just give you a basic sense of what it looks like. We were near this little town over here to the west of that yellow region, Montepulciano, a small town called Pozzuolo. And we navigated a little bit around the area. And here's the thing. If you would ask me on the day that we set out for Assisi, how do you get to Assisi? I was in... I don't know. But here's what I did know. I knew how to get from near Montepulciano to a little town that isn't on the map, Castiglione del Lago, which is just on the west side of that little body of water. And I knew how to get from there to Cortona. And I knew how to get from Cortona to Perugia. And then in getting to Perugia, I found my way to Assisi. It was actually a really cool experience that I hadn't planned for which is this, in this age of GPS, in this age where so many of us, before we set out on a journey, know before we take the step out the door what the first step is and what the second step is and what the other step is, and we can see the whole route at once. I didn't have that kind of experience. I knew how to get to the next place, and when that next there became here, how to, when that here would become the next there, and when the next there became here, until finally we wound up in Assisi. It reminds me that all true exploring, all true adventure, all true pilgrimage begins and maintains the possibility of this, that we can get dramatically lost. And there is something thrilling in that. Because in getting lost, we also can then get our bearings and our orientation again and find our way once more. 
This is about engaging the feeling and the reality of unfamiliarity and risk and remembering, even in this incredibly tech-savvy age, remembering this, there is no perfect map because our lives are always off the map. Engaging risk and vulnerability. This is at the heart of this book, Daring Greatly by Brene Brown, that forms the core of this message series that we are in the middle of. This quest for certainty, this quest to have the perfect map, this quest to want to know exactly what's going to happen to us, she says it is illusory. And so in a section that's talking about leadership and about healthy organizations that do not exist with a sense of shame, that exist with the sense of engaging creativity and risk, Brene Brown admits this, most people and most organizations can't stand the uncertainty and the risk of real innovation. Learning and creating are inherently vulnerable. There's never enough certainty. And yet people want guarantees. So let me say this before I get in what I want to say the rest of the day. I have absolutely no guarantees for you at all today. Instead, let's embrace some risk and some uncertainty and see what happens. This reminder of how we can quest for certainties and guarantees and how sometimes we can put these up as barriers to the wider reality of our lives and the wider reality of our own wild hearts. It brings to mind one of my least favorite sayings in the English language. Ready for it? Here it is. Failure isn't an option. I cannot stand that saying. What I'd say is if we are putting our hearts on the line, our values into play, that failure is always an option. And it's actually engaging that risk and that uncertainty that calls us and can call us more deeply into life. Indeed, I know people, I have at times in my life been this person, where the fear of failure is so great that we just don't risk at all. Never put our values into deeper play or put our hearts on the line. Or I would say it's even worse. People who say, I am a winner. I'm a winner. And so if I'm threatened by failure... You know whose problem it is and who made it so (laughs) because I can't possibly fail. But the truth is, if we really scratch the surface in all of our lives, we know that failure and failing is around us all the time. Maybe some of us right now today are in the midst of spectacular flops. Embrace it. Because there's a whole host of difference between failing and being a failure. One is simply an experience that all life goes through. But when we harden that experience into a mindset and that mindset becomes an identity, we move from an experience into something that we are. I mean, just even saying this, I failed today. I may be failing spectacularly right now. This is in your hands, I guess. (laughs) I failed today versus I am a failure. You see the immense space between them and the judgment that unfortunately takes failing 
into failure. Failing does not make us a failure. And I'd say, in fact, that where we are today in this Wellsprings congregation, inheritors of our amazing universalist tradition that says there are second chances, third chances, fourth chances, fifth chances, and in fact, infinite chances if universalism is real, then to believe that there are final failures, and this is the statement upon what our lives mean, is in fact a betrayal of our universalist heritage. This is why I believe that Brene Brown, I'm not even sure what her spiritual heritage is, at her heart, rippling through her teachings, is universalism. She believes most deeply, most powerfully in this resilience that is at the heart of who we are. Resilient individuals, resilient institutions, resilient families, resilient businesses, resilient congregations, resilient life that can learn from the things that do not go our way, that can recognize that sometimes we cannot predict the entire journey. All we can do is know the next place we need to get to, and then when we get there, we figure out the next place after that. Sometimes that is the best we can do, and actually also the most honest thing we can do. This is what I want to talk about today, about how at Wellsprings, this is who we are at our best. Last week... John and Elizabeth talked about last year's aspirations and particularly one of our aspirations last year that we were able to fulfill, which is that we wanted to be able to train a couple people in this congregation to be able to be equipped to open space for a couple's retreat just as we had done a couple years ago. And because we were able to fulfill last year's aspirations, we talked about at this time of the year, last year, we're going to be able to bless them and send them off to do this training, and then they'll come back to Wellsprings and reinvest their gifts in us. This is the time of the year at Wellsprings where we talk about our aspirations, how we are going to fund next year's budget that begins January 1st. Now, if you just heard that word budget and you're saying, oh boy, I'm going to about tune out here for the next 15 or 20 minutes, I'm not talking any numbers today. So many people have said in so many different ways, especially in this time of difficulty economically for so many of us, budgets are are moral and spiritual documents. Budgets reveal our values and our aspirations. This is how I am bringing the aspirations that I do not know and I offer no guarantees that we will be able to reach these. And that should not stop us from knowing our aspirations and heading out in the direction of them. These are aspirations for the next year. This first one, staffing for growth. It was one of our aspirations last year. We were able to make great progress and we didn't do everything that we wanted to do. Wellsprings is a growing community. Wellsprings is a community that in seven and a half years has grown from 20 committed people to 250 committed adults and many, many kids. Staffing for growth and different forms that will take and be with us for a while. Last week in my message, for those of you who listened to it or may have heard it on podcast, you heard me talk honestly and openly about some of my own vulnerabilities and growth trajectory and some of the things that have caused me some internal struggle and shame in my growth as a professional here at Wellsprings. That is all true. And what is also true is that the current staff at Wellsprings is stretched thin. That is simply a truth that defines what it is to be here. Our aspiration for next year, actually beginning next summer, is to be able to hire at least a half-time 
minister. So that in our current staff being stretched, we do not continue to have important parts of who we are fall through the cracks. And so we're looking for at least a half-time minister for leadership and spiritual development so that our small groups and our pastoral care, and yes, also our preaching life, can continue to be strong and flourish and grow. In Staffing for Growth, we're also talking about the honest needs of our staff as we currently are so that we can keep growing, so that our lives are not frozen so that we can continue to take the trainings and that we can come back to Wellsprings and reinvest our gifts in the vitality of this community. This is what Staffing for Growth is about. And yes, adding a staff position, hiring someone new, is a risk. If you're thinking in numbers right now, yes, that is the single biggest number that I'm going to be talking about here today. But there are other aspirations that we have here at Wellsprings integrating our newer teams. I am so proud. I talked about this last week. I am so proud that in the midst of working towards over the last two and a half years, as we have done, to become a congregation that totally lives within its means, a startup congregation that cannot live off the largesse of what was invested in us in the first place before anyone knew us, before we knew ourselves here, that in the midst of sometimes that stressful moment, the stressful years, we have also birthed some of our most profoundly healing And wonderfully chargeful ministries, addiction and recovery, our 5K team, and our family ministry. What we want to do with addictions and recovery is that just as we had a recovery expo last September during National Recovery Month, we want to do another one next year. And this time, we want to invite a notable, known, publicly acknowledged speaker to kind of headline that for us. We don't know who that person is, so no one has said no or yes to us yet. This is our aspiration, and that expo will be paid for by having a 5K again this coming spring, which we're rebranded rather instead of calling it Wellsprings 5K, which if you know Wellsprings is great, but doesn't really mean anything to anyone else out there, we're rebranding it as this, Run for Recovery. Our family ministry team has opened up so much space, not about excellence in parenting or in being a member of a family throughout living wholehearted lives. It's time now, especially if you've been here uh, over the last few Christmas Eves, this room about totally fills up. And especially how, you know, kind of dressed up people get on Christmas Eve um, and being how few seats there are left and we kind of occupy every space here, I think it's amazing that no little kid's hair has gone up in a blue, blue ball of flame. By the way, that happened at the very first Christmas Eve service that I ever led. And so one of the things we feel called to do this Christmas Eve, yes, before the next calendar year begins, is to offer a second Christmas Eve service. A second Christmas Eve service that's earlier in the day that we recognize that when we've been having the one Christmas Eve service, it's been at 7, 7.30 at night, and it just doesn't work for families who have real young kids. And so we want to offer a second Christmas Eve service to invite more life and more energy and especially the littlest wellspringers into the joy of that night here. And finally, a daring greatly congregation. That one actually has no number associated with it right now. But what it comes from is listening to all of you 
before my sabbatical began this summer, since I got back, listening to what's coming out of our book groups, our small groups, so many of which are integrating these wholehearted qualities that Brene Brown talks about. This is who Wellsprings is and who we are at its best, moving beyond the image of a perfect life, moving into those places of vulnerability and risk. And so what we would like to do is bring in what's called a Daring Way Consultant to be able to train us and our leaders here at Wellsprings to be able to more intentionally and more lovingly open space for the whole of our lives. Because the truth for all of us, and I've seen it over and over again here at Wellsprings, which is that when we move beyond our expert's mind and move beyond the places we're already excellent, not that those things being offered in gifts aren't wonderful, but we move into those places in which we are still forming our lives, this place and our lives truly come alive. We want and I want to have this kind of culture here at Wellsprings even more intentionally for all of us. So these aspirations are real and that they address needs and that they are relevant as well. They are real and they are relevant. And this is one of the things that actually gives me the biggest thrill. I know Leah's heard it as well in response to her preaching and some of our teaching here, which is this. Were you listening in to the inside of my head this past week? (laughs) Relevant with our hurts, our hungers, our hopes. These aspirations address that. And there's a third R here as well, too, which is that, yes, heading towards these aspirations are risky. I have no guarantees when we will exactly be able to make these real. All we are asking and I am asking is this. That when we reflect, all of us, and I'm part of this too, when we reflect on what Wellsprings means to us and has meant to us and what it will mean to us, when you set your intentions for giving for the next year to open up that space for discernment. And I know for some of us, mentioning money and spirituality, if it doesn't give us hives, it might open up some of that shame. It might open up some of that garbage that's out there in the wider culture, which is that if we do not have enough, we are not enough. We're not worthy. I know that there are people in this congregation for whom Wellsprings has been incredibly healing, holy part of their lives, and there's not possibility at all that you could give anything more financially. That is what it is. And there is no shame there as I perceive it. And so what I'm asking you today is this. On October 26th, uh, you might remember from the past, if you've been around in the past, that every year they uh, kick us out of here and they move us to the gym because there's an art show that's been on the calendar here at the Montgomery School much longer than we've been on the calendar here. And so we move over to the gym and we take advantage of that larger size and we do one service. That service that day will be all about celebrating the kind of growth of the spirit and the growth of this community that leads us to these aspirations. Please, I ask you, be there for that one service at 10 o'clock and come and celebrate with us all these good things that we are doing together. And remember, Wellsprings is not just us. (laughs) Our community will continue to grow. This is why we head into this uncertain future. We are not a finished 
product. Will we get there again? I don't know. But simply because we aren't assured of achieving aspirations is no reason not to head in the direction of them. This is something that Brene Brown also talks about in her book. She calls it minding the gap. Minding the gap between the here that we are and the there that we want to go and not in fear saying we will stay here, which never changes because we are afraid of the life that we don't know yet. It's not that. And it's also not fantasy of saying everything we could ever imagine is waiting for us. And this is actually what we're promising us exactly. And this is how we'll get it exactly. Moving beyond fear, moving beyond fantasy is to that space of that creative tension between where we are and where we want to head. There's a, a writer and a teacher named Christy Nelson who brings mindfulness and money together for some opening discernment, especially on the places with money that we might feel a lot of resistance. And she says, there is always that tension between our reality and the aspirations that we choose to head toward. It can either be one thing or another. It can either be a source of stress. It can be the kind of tension that shuts us down and makes us feel shame. Or it can be the kind of creative dynamic tension that asks us to bring our full selves, our full creativity, our full embracing of vulnerability, and opening to uncertainty, and seeing what happens. Obviously, I recommend the creative dynamic tension rather than the stress tension. (laughs) And it's not just because I think it's best. It's actually, this is kind of part of how nature works and how life works If you might recognize this, that's a tent. A tent only stays aloft because of what's called tensile strength. The space between something planted over here and the space of something planted over there. That's how things rise. This is how our lives rise in the space between here and there and engaging that tension. And even more, I'm going to bring it a little closer to my own fears, my own heart, that this is something I was doing almost three years ago to the day. That is me hanging ass backwards down off a rock. That is, I am 50 feet up in the air, held in place by one strong cord leaning entirely away from the rock. By the way, that's 50 feet up at the top of a mountain that's 5,000 feet up. That was my outward bound excursion that I went on three years ago. Every instinct in my body told me, don't lean back. (laughs) Don't lean away from the rock. And yet I did because I knew held on the other end of that line were my friends who had me and would allow me to risk. This is the place where we discover what real courage is, is often in moving away from our conditioning around fear or not enough, or aversion to uncertainty, and recognizing that we're not in the alone. And by the way, one of my other friends who went up on that rock, he took a spill. He lost his footing, and he crashed in with his shoulder full on to that side of the mountain. But because we had him on the other end of the line, he didn't come sliding down those 50 feet. We just held him there long enough until he could regain his footing and continue his 
climb. We are all going to slip and fall at some point. We are all going to experience failure. But failure doesn't mean that we are a failure. It doesn't mean that when we fall, we have to lose it all when we fall. We can find that resilience again. This is what Daring Greatly as a book, this is what this whole message series is about. To become the kind of people and to live in the kind of places and to cultivate the kind of resilience that says we do not have to live with a sense of shame or fear. That we can become the kind of people who regularly take risks and make mistakes and mess up and that we can turn back towards our messes instead of moving them out of the way. We can choose to bless those messes because our lives are messy and inspired places. And indeed, we can be messy and inspired people. And we can have each other's backs. And in being inspired, we can also be inspirited. We can trust that creative flow and force in the universe that asks us in so many different ways. Head towards our aspirations, even if we know not yet how we will arrive there. So no, I don't know if we will achieve these aspirations. But I know that these aspirations are things we can set our hearts upon. Lack of immediate success does not mean that we are failures, even if we fail. It just means that sometimes it may take us longer to get there, and we may have to encounter detours, and that is all right. Because finally, this is who Wellsprings is. At our best. Not at our most perfect, but at our best. There's a quote that Brene Brown talks about from another teacher. And it goes like this in the book. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. Strategy is what we choose to do. But culture is how we choose to do it. The energy, the animating spirit. Wellspring, since its beginning, has been a culture of vulnerability and risk who move beyond blaming or shaming and into that place of learning and trusting and growing. That place in which if we feel we are winners, we do not put other people down if we feel that they are not winning in the same way as us. Who feel that vulnerability and uncertainty can never and actually should never be gotten rid of. This is one of the core teachings of Daring Greatly. It's not, she says, moving to the place where there is no fear. It's learning to stand in the place of fear and discover courage. And by the way, of course, we know this already. There are far too many businesses, far too many families, far too many countries, far too many institutions that right now build their identity in our world as winners only on the basis of making other people losers. This is a betrayal of our universalism. This is not who we are at Wellsprings. This is not what our world needs. What a blessed thing to know that we can enter more deeply a creation that is always ongoing and is waiting for us to always enter that stream, that we can enter that creativity with our fullest intention and we can encounter there something I'm going to talk about next week, particularly in light of our universalist tradition, which is the reality of grace. 
that says our lives are not finished products. We are not done. That there are second chances and third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances. And yes, as the universalist gospel proclaims, infinite chances. That we are part of creation always growing. And to know this is to know that we can live in that grace space. I invite all of us as we go through this season of discerning our aspirations here to live in that grace and in that openness together. Amen. May you live in blessing. Let's pray together. God of our hearts, may we open to the present, to this moment, to all that we bring to this moment and all that is here. Light and darkness, shame and healing, failure and success. May we open to the multitudes of life that are within us. And may we know that this space well-cultivated, well-tended, well-cared for will create the kind of future that we yearn for. May we allow ourselves in this uncertainty to live lives of health and wholeness and risk. And may we know as that ancient gospel proclaims that we are all invited to the feast, that we are all beloved and that all of our lives matter. Amen.